Hey everybody, my name is Anita Kirkbride of Torp Communications and this is Halablab, the show for small businesses in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Join me as I talk to businesses you may be following and some you might not have heard of yet. Hear stories from local business owners like you, how they started, where they're going, and of course, since I'm a social media consultant, how they're using social media. Take a moment to subscribe right now so you don't miss an episode, whether you're listening on Facebook, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. Hey, Halifax, welcome back to the Halablab on this pretty extremely rainy Friday. I'm your host, Anita Kirkbride, and today my guest is Ginny Sterling Body from The Junkery, uh, my good friend Ginny. We're going to have a hoot today. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, Please let us know that you're here in the comments. Have some fun with us. Ask some questions. Get interactive. If you're catching this via the podcast later, we'd love to see you someday on the Facebook Live. So consider joining us on a Friday afternoon at 1.30 p.m. Atlantic on Facebook Live. And that's on the Twerp Communications Facebook page every Friday afternoon. We'd love to have you here and interacting with us as we're talking. So my guest, Ginny. Ginny is an ideas woman, a popcorn lover, an unconventional boss lady, and shoe hoarder. Oh, boy, I am so not a shoe hoarder. Ginny Sterling Body is co-founder of The Junkery, the art of junk removal. Launched in 2015, Junkery is a really cool junk removal business that offers customized junk removal options to suit any project, budget, or timeline. Junkery won New Business of the Year at the Halifax Chamber of Commerce Business Awards and was named one of 50 honorable mentions. I don't know this story. 50 of honorable, fifth, was named one of 50 honorable mentions out of 3,300 small businesses launched in Canada by the Globe and Mail and TELUS Small Business Challenge. I missed that news. On any given day, Ginny can be found in steel-toed boots on the on board the Junkery Tracker in a pair of kicky wedge heels, speaking to aspiring entrepreneurs at the Center for Women in Business or SEED. That is when she's not having a laugh and sharing ideas over cupcakes with the Junkery crew or reading ridiculously funny tweet stories late at night. Welcome, Ginny. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you because I think you're a hoot and uh, you've taken classes from me and we always have fun talking about your experiences. But let's start with the basics. Where did the junkery come from? How did you start this business and why junk? Why junk? Well, um, we had a very small kitchen renovation that left some ceramic tile, things like that. And they were in garbage bags on my front step. And I knew who the big franchise junk removal companies were, but there wasn't really um, a local option. And I thought, you know, I think we could do this a little better. I, you know, the passing of both of my parents 
I realized how much is involved in cleaning out um, materials. And I just, you know, in my head, I thought not all junk is junk. Sometimes it's a lifetime of memories for people and the process needs a kinder and gentler hand than just a truck showing up and materials being thrown into the back of it. So that was the idea behind it, that we just wanted to do something a little different in junk removal to offer um, people a kinder and gentler option. So we launched in 2015. Interesting. So I don't, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but my father was kind of like the junkeries, um, Fredericton arm. Okay. <laughs> my, my father in his retirement actually ran a junk removal and redistribution business, we'll call it. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of the same idea though. He realized that people were going in and just cleaning out mom and dad's house and throwing everything out and there was still a use for it. So what do you do with stuff that you get from these jobs that really shouldn't go to the dump? What do you do? Well, not all junk is junk. Um, only 15% of the total material we collect is actually sent to the landfill. Wow. The other 5% is recycled or donated or repurposed. We don't resell anything that we collect. Again, that was something that to me, if, if we're coming into a situation that's highly emotional, the passing of a loved one, I didn't like the idea of the family having us remove the items and then seeing those items on Kijiji for $5. That's just not what we do. There are a number of fantastic organizations in the city, Habitat for Humanity, Parker Street Food and Furniture Bank, two that we deal with quite a bit. So the other piece of what we do is we have so many ways of recycling now here in Halifax Regional Municipalities. We have one of the most sophisticated landfills in all of North America. So the actual sorting becomes overwhelming for people. What goes where? They don't, they don't know what to do with it. So we took that responsibility for them. So whatever you have, um, we bring it back to our warehouse to sort through it in order to divert as much material as possible away from the landfill. So that helps us with our recycling numbers. This lovely piece of art behind me was a piece that we picked up. Wow. Um, our customer paints for um, you know various reasons and had a number of paintings and was shocked that someone would actually want those. And um, yeah, so, so we try to find homes for as many items as possible. We actually just uh, recycled a 1924 tire changer for a Model T Ford. Um, I, yes, we, we had it, it was our showpiece in the warehouse for a long time. Anyone coming in to visit, you know, do you know what this is? No one ever guessed it. Um, and I had read an article online about a gentleman and his wife down in uh, Kentville, I believe, and he collects Model T Fords. And I thought he would just like it as a, a collector piece. Uh, I'm shocked, but he's actually using it. And he said it has taken the time to change a tire from about three to four hours down to about 10 minutes with this tire changer. So um, so we really like when, when junk has a happy ending like that. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's our goal. And, and we offer two types of junk removal service. We do our traditional truck pickup service. When you know exactly what you want gone, you just tell us what you want. 
we show up, load it in the truck and go. But we also have um, our fantastic junkery bags, which are a great alternative to a big clunky metal dumpster. Um, not every project needs that. If you're tearing your house down, yes, go get a metal dumpster. But for those in-between jobs, whether they're a small do-it-yourself or whether it's just a small house clearing, um, our bags can hold up to 3,300 pounds of material. You fill it on your own timeline. The pickup and disposal is already included in the price. There's no extra charge once it's disposed of. So that's been very convenient for homeowners for building a, a junk removal budget for their project. And um, we have this fantastic junk removal truck with a crane on it that comes around and collects those. We actually have a number of repeat customers. One has three children who he has to schedule the pickups when they're going to be home because they want to see the truck, <laughs> which is really fun. So, you know, we're kind of doing a bit of happy junk removal. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what we set out to do. So we're really pleased with it. We're just coming up on our fourth year, the, the end of our fourth year of business now. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the other interesting found oh my goodness um some stories that i'm not sure i should put on the public hellab lab um you know <laughs> when, when you really think about it we're we're getting very intimate with our customers we're seeing a lot of their secrets we're seeing a lot of their uh lifestyle choices and so you know, we we have a confidential service. If you have confidential paper, we're a partner with a, a local shredding company. So those, those types of materials don't leave our warehouse. They get shredded here on site. Um, we have baseball tickets, the very first ever Toronto Blue Jays game. Uh, we picked up, I think it was 1977. Um, we, you know, there was a, a baseball that was... Um, you know, written on it, I think it was like Tommy's home run ball. It was a gentleman that was in the Navy and it was from 1955. So, you know, we've collected really old materials. We've, we, you know, the number of old Game Boys and electronic type of materials that we get, which all get recycled. Uh, lots of record albums and we have a, a great little um, independent radio station um, that we always give them a call to see if they want to come over and take a look at what we have to see if there's anything that they're interested in as well. Um, furniture, of course, all, a lot of the furniture that we collect goes to uh, Habitat for Humanity. So um, there's some stuff that's making me laugh, but I'm not really sure I want to share it publicly. Well, maybe I can. It's, um, you know, we found uh, a lovely gentleman's collection of porn. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Which, you know, how do you tell the family, well, do you want to keep this or do you want us to get rid of that? So it's, um, you never know what we're going to find. Every job is different. No two jobs are the same. Mm -hmm. And do you see... I got, how am I going to word this? Um, do you see a difference in a generational difference in what things are kept? Like, I guess a lot of the times you're dealing with a death and you're cleaning out the house, but do you see, do you see any, not fights, but disagreements over what goes and what stays when you're cleaning things out? Absolutely. Um, I think you can Google, um, brown furniture no one wants brown furniture so beautiful furniture sets you know solid wood um the big you know buffet hutches and tables oh, yeah. no one wants them you know the, the generation now is a little more geared to more disposable items so mm -hmm. you know you have a popularity of items that look fantastic but aren't necessarily really well made and when you know the life 
ends on that they just get something new and and out it goes so um there are a lot of articles actually about this dilemma and that you know antique shops for instance are overrun with brown wooden furniture because no one wants it which is really sad uh, but that furniture if, if no one wants it, if no one wants to repurpose it and become crafty and do something else with it, then, you know, it can be recycled. It, it will go to a, a wood recycling facility. So there, even though it may not have any useful purpose left uh, in the form that it has now, like a table or chairs, somebody can do something with that. So go to your antique stores. That's, you know, you'll find some great stuff there to repurpose. Yeah, they just, they don't make it like they used to, of course. They don't. They don't. Yeah. I'm just laughing because the bookcase beside me is brown. <laughs> the TV entertainment center you can't quite see over there is brown. And my they're kitchen, beautiful. There's nothing my, wrong with them. No, my kitchen table is dark brown. <laughs> <laughs> All of my furniture is brown. Um, but yeah, I mean, my my father passed away a year and a half ago. And my mother is stuck trying to clean out his business, <laughs> if you will. Yes. But there, she's seen the same thing. People aren't interested in the antiques anymore because they don't fit the new look. And so she's overrun with things like dishes and porcelain and silver. If anybody silver. ever wanted silver, mm -hmm. um, like tea trays and cutlery and it, yeah, stuff like that, it's people just don't it's heartbreaking because it does have a lot of emotional value. And I think that that's very challenging for families when they are going through that process of cleaning out these, because for some people, and, and what we've often seen too, is we've gone into a situation where someone's parents passed away, but that parent also held on to all of their parents' belongings. So you end up with two different generations of antiques and furniture and books and photos and it's um it's a very emotional thing that we're doing it's uh, not all junk is junk yeah do you ever have to bring in um a hoarding expert have you ever well, had to do that or we have we have made recommendations for that uh junkery is a member of a, a lovely organization called serving seniors alliance cooperative and one of the colleagues on there uh owns a professional organizing company and so we often will do referrals you know ideally when we're coming in you need to know what you already want us to remove but yeah. we have walked into situations where they, you know, the customer clearly needs some help and guidance on what to take out and what to keep. And, and that's a whole other process as well as trying to determine what has value for you. And even though something may have value, it's okay to let it go if you know that it's going to go to another home. And, and that's, you know, we, we do work with a lot of clients in that way to explain to them that, you know, no, this isn't just going to get broken apart and recycled. We are going to try to find a home for it as best as we can. Yeah, but your job isn't to help them make those decisions. No. You no. leave that up to a professional. Exactly. We would come in after that person has right. been there. And we have many times. We, we've worked alongside of a number of professional organizers, um, and, and it works nicely hand-in-hand hand because um, they're doing their part and getting it ready and working through that emotional side with the customer. And then we're coming in with that kinder, gentler junk removal approach to make the whole entire process from start to finish um, easier for them to, to manage. Mm -hmm. So Junkery's been in business. You said you're coming up on your fourth anniversary, right? I can't believe it. Yes, the end of this year will be our fourth year in business. 
And uh, in four years, you've racked up quite a little string of awards, haven't you? Thank you. We, uh, you know, it's been nice to be on the radar for, for a number of these awards. And, you know, that's great validation for what we're doing. Um, you know, the, uh, the most important thing for us is our high number of repeat customers and referrals that we get from our customer base. So we know that we're doing a good job with them and we're keeping them happy. The, the awards are fantastic. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I know, you know, we're talking today about social media. Well, and this is my next question for you. Oh, you're a pro you are um i i was a personal social media user prior to launching junkery and i think you know i'm probably in the same boat as many small business owners about to embark on a on a journey through entrepreneurship you know i understood social media what i didn't understand was how i was actually going to use that and incorporate that into junkery Mm -hmm. The obvious things were, of course, I would set up the channels on Facebook and Twitter and, um, you know, but not really understanding at that point early on who was really seeing us on which channel. And, um, you know, I've done training with you, which has been wonderful because you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, when you come into a class like that, sometimes you don't you don't know what questions to ask. So the night that we won, we won New Business of the Year at the Halifax Chamber of Commerce for 2016, I believe it was. Um, and we were in this lovely big reception hall down at the World Trade and Convention Center. And our name was announced as the, as the winner, which was amazing. And so when we came back to the table after picking up the award, our Twitter feed had blown up. And our Facebook feed was silent. And I really, in that moment, I realized, okay, so the messaging I'm putting out on Twitter is really to our peers, uh, you know, people within the business community, uh, other small business owners. When I put it out, when and then I put it out on Facebook to our, our, our likes and our followers on that page, then it became a very engaged conversation. So that one experience for us proved to me that I think more of our effort needs to be spent on Facebook as opposed to Twitter. We still are on Twitter, but it not in the same frequency, not in the same type of messaging. We, we change our messaging based on which social media channel we're using. Um, <laughs> it's almost like um, you're a ventriloquist. Your words are coming out of my mouth. <laughs> I think I've heard you say that before. <laughs> I may um, have said that a few times. Well, and I have learned that through your class. And I know, you know, one of the classes that I took from you, you were very funny when I came in because, of course, you were kind of interviewing everyone before the class started and said to me, what are you doing here? <laughs> you don't need to be here. But I really did because I don't know what I don't know. And in every one of, of the training classes, and, and I would love to sign up for more, but of course, time sometimes is the bigger issue when you're working in and on your business. But I've learned in any class I've taken from you, Anita, is um, the amazing knowledge that you have in this ever-changing, like minute-by-minute minute world. I don't know how you stay on top of everything, but you do. Um, lately, and I also, lately, I don't. <laughs> there's a lot of changes lately. There, it's just, it's constantly. So, you know, it's funny. In many ways, I'm a bit of a dinosaur in that way where, you know, you did your yellow page ad, you did your billboard if you had a lot of money and, you know, maybe a newspaper ad. And so now you really have to determine as a small business owner, where your customers are and how they're going to hear about you and and even though i may put something on facebook today 
we're not the type of service that all of a sudden it triggers you, oh, I'm going to need that today. We have people you know, that will book a job with us now who saw us at a trade show two and a half years ago. So mm -hmm. it's very hard for us to kind of, you know, monitor that and see what return we're getting on which channel. But I just want to keep that conversation and that engagement going with the people who are following us. Mm -hmm. So on our Facebook channel, you know, we, we do a combination of posts and this again is directly from you. Um, you know, we actually don't do a whole lot of salesy stuff on our Facebook. I, we have a story to tell with what we do and that's more important to me. You know, what do we do with, uh, we do a, a regular Wednesday posting of what do we do with, books or what do we do with records what do we do with wood um stories in the community you know we uh junkery does uh an annual event called the one ton uh, food challenge for our friends over at Parker Street Food and Furniture Bank. So Facebook's been a wonderful vehicle for us to to get that word out. Um, you know, in in three years we've collected close to ten thousand pounds of food for them through that initiative. Wow. So so yeah, that's been really fun for us. That's a really fun day for us here. So um, you know, we have gone on Instagram. We we are on Instagram. Um, you know, my my layperson's view of that is it, it is interesting. We immediately get more, I guess, engagement with respect to how many people have liked the post. But I don't necessarily think that it's it's a, a consumer based market that are then going to hire us because of that. I think it's more just visibility. So, you know, the fact that there's no cost for us to be on those unless, of course, we're paying for advertising, mm -hmm. um, it's visibility. You know, it's 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 almost like, you know, they say radio is that earworm and not that I want to put worms in anyone's eyes, but, you know, on social media, at least you're seeing us and, and it's present there. So so I'll leave you with that thought. Now I have worms yeah. in your eyes. Lovely. Um, <laughs> you're on the three networks. You probably have a LinkedIn profile, too. Which of the networks is your favorite? So that's interesting because I think as an entrepreneur, you, you do kind of have a split personality. You know, there are times where I have the lovely shoes on, where I'm at a lovely event and function and I'm, I'm there as Ginny the entrepreneur. So on LinkedIn, I have my personal LinkedIn profile and Junkery has its own page and we do some sharing of material on that, just peer to peer. And again, you know, another small business in Halifax to stay on the radar. Um, Facebook is our preferred channel for that conversation with clients. So, so that's what we have chosen as our social media channel, but it took us a long time actually to get there. Mm -hmm. And part of the benefit of then getting to that point, um, is you manage your social media time better. The time that you're spending on your social media then becomes a little more honed and a little more efficient. Um, you know, I know that you've come out with uh, some information on how you're the best person to manage your social media accounts. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I completely agree with that. I think, you know, there are so many wonderful organizations out there offering social media help. You're the top of that list. <laughs> um, there are so many organizations, you know, that will offer bookkeeping, that will offer um, all different types of services. But I think the challenge with many small businesses is it's impossible to pay for all of that. You know, so even though it might be $300, if you multiply that by about 12 different you know, people who would be able to help you, you can't afford that. So I do think you have to become a bit self-sustaining in some skill 
for social media. So I had a little bit of that in my toolbox anyway, and I have a bit of a creative mind. So um, that that has helped me in some of the posting that we've done. Mm -hmm. So well, you knew I was going to ask about a specific, um, a specific story. It's your favorite story, if you want to share story. I tell this story every time I teach a class about Instagram or every time I talk about hashtags because it's such a good example of why you need to do some research before you just jump on a hashtag bandwagon. So tell us about your experience going into using what you thought was the perfect hashtag for the junkery in winter. Okay. So uh, I'm glad you bring that up and you and I always have a giggle about this. Um, I understood what hashtags meant. You know, it's kind of like a file folder. You're going to click that hashtag and you're going to see all the posts that are related to that hashtag specifically. So we went to pick a junkery bag up in the winter and it was covered in snow. And I thought, oh, I'm going to put out a funny thing about, you know, the weather. And, and I hashtagged it with the term hashtag snow junk which to me was very innocent because it was very specific to what we were doing. We were picking up a bad junkery bag that was covered in snow. And I did that without seeing what other <laughs> posts were in that folder with the hashtag snow junk. And a couple comments had come up on that particular post that kind of made me go, hmm, I should probably look that up. And when I did, I was shocked to find out penises made of, <laughs> of snow. It didn't occur to me that the slang word of junk <laughs> would actually be used in that way, but it was. Some people like building snowmen, other people like building other things. <laughs> so immediately I changed that post, but when I shared that story with you, you found that very funny. Well, it's a perfect example of why you need to check hashtags before you just jump on them, because you just never know. Today in the class I was teaching, we were talking a bit about hashtags and doing hashtag research. And I, I, I don't think I mentioned it today, but I'd already told this story in this class. But we came across a list of banned hashtags on Instagram. So hashtags that there's no point in using them because Instagram just doesn't recognize them. And some of them seemed pretty innocuous. Like girls and women were two of the hashtags that were in this list of hashtags you shouldn't use. Why? Because somewhere along the way, somebody is abusing these hashtags with probably pornographic images, right? So always, it, always, I gave them some tools today to do some hashtag research. And it's always a good idea at the very least, type that hashtag into Twitter or Instagram or both and see what comes up. So if you go today to Instagram and you type in snow junk, you don't get very much because it's not winter, but they're still there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> or Twitter, that's, yeah. So uh, so that was my lesson in that. Not that I wanted junkery to come out on this, but <laughs> fixed it up and everything was fine and I have never used that hashtag again. <laughs> oh, I love that story. <laughs> have you had any other, so... You've had big learnings. You had big learning about social media the night of the business award when Twitter blew up and Facebook took the next day before it came alive. Um, you learned about hashtags. Have you had any other big aha moments from, from social media that have helped you manage what you're doing? 
Um, Hootsuite is is one that I'm fumbling my way through. Um, I know that you do Hootsuite training and I'm trying to coordinate that with my schedule as well. Um, the biggest challenge for me that I have found is just managing my time so that I'm not being as reactionary to posting, that I actually have a bit of a plan and that I'm scheduling posts so that I don't day-by-day -day basis. I think there will always be some type of topical um, you know, post or event that's happened that you immediately want to put something out on. But I think, you know, if you can structure yourself in a way, which is I know what you teach, that, you know, you have your schedule in place. I haven't got there yet myself personally, but I will get there at some point. I know Hootsuite will be the tool that I do that with. The interesting thing as well is, you know, any business, they always, you know, what who's your target market? Well, everyone has junk. And that's been a very interesting experience for us because we are not just, you know, this particular age group, this particular gender, this particular geographic region. We, we, we have everyone from university students moving out of university or their house up to 90 plus people who are still living on their own and everything in between. So the, the messaging and how we've done so uh, with respect to social media, we sometimes speak to very different audiences and not just with social media, but even for instance, you know, the, the group that I belong to serving seniors Alliance cooperative on a lot of material. And, and we're a group of trusted business members that offer services to seniors and their families uh, out in the community and, and other areas. With that particular group, we did an ad once and I put the URL, you know, the web address of servingseniors.info and it never occurred to me that someone wouldn't know that that was the actual website address because it didn't have the www in front of it because for a lot of what Junkery does, I don't, uh, it's just junkery.com. So, you know, sometimes through the sessions I've taken with you and, and through other peer groups when someone asks a question you know I think gosh I've never looked at it from that perspective before because sometimes you, you get to know it so well you don't even consider someone else's perspective on what they're looking at so you know particularly with an older demographic that I think are becoming one of the fastest growing groups on the internet mm -hmm. um, sometimes you you have to be careful with with the messaging that you're putting out that not everyone understands it and you know are as knowledgeable um, Interestingly, someone had written to our Junkery Facebook page the other day. Um, they were having difficulty loading our page, and they used the um, acronym FWIW. And I didn't know what that was, and and I actually thought he was referring to um, a radio station's call letters because we were talking about that in the chat. He said, "No, for what it's worth." <laughs> and I actually kind of laughed at myself, and I thought, "There's so many of these things to." To, to, to be knowledgeable on. I don't know what these abbreviations mean anymore. And, and so, you know, as a small business owner, I, I, I find it impossible to stay on top of that. So I'm so happy there are resources out there like twerp and you that can help navigate through those types of things because you can spend a lot of time, you can spend a lot of money and time and money are the two most valuable things to a small business owner. Um, you know, you'll learn from your mistakes and you may pay for some of those mistakes. Um, you know, we're not talking about SEO today, but I, I would like to share that we had early on um, with Google AdWords that we ran a campaign on Google AdWords. And I think in one month, it was a ridiculous amount of money because, of course, it's all 
click-based type thing. And, and I think we ended up paying something like $1,200 in one month, which is just not sustainable for a small business like ours because we're an independent business. We're not a franchise. And I think, you know, we've done an amazing job on our brand that most people think we're a franchise, but we're not. So, you know, we don't have a big corporate headquarters in, you know, maybe Vancouver or Toronto, you know, that's doing the social media and doing the web information. So we did this search engine optimization, the SEO project and spent $1,200 and you get your report on how many people visited your website based on that money that you were spending for that. The following month, we paused at about four or five days in and I get the report for that following month and the actual engagement numbers were higher. So it really, you know, that opened my eyes to unless I have a really strong knowledge base or I'm really putting this in the hands of a professional. But again, you know, when you're a small business, you have to spread that out, mm -hmm. you know, uh, responsibly. It, it was a, it was an expensive experience to, to learn. Like, well, in one month I spent $40 and I got a higher return of people visiting our website than they did when I spent $1,200. So I think, you know, because the market is, is the world of social media is so new for many people and, and it is new because it changes every single day. So even though you may think you understand it one day, that completely changes. That's why I'm obsessively on your sites all the time to see if something has recently changed. So it's, it's interesting to me that you would bring up SEO because the, the first Hellablab I did and anybody who's watching or listening who didn't catch the first one, it's available um, on our page on the video section or on the podcast pages as well. The first one I did, I had an SEO expert in because I had a client who was being hosed by their SEO person and not a local, the SEO person was not local. Um, and the company name is gone. Like I, I couldn't even name them if I wanted to, but they were paying $700 a month. And same thing as you, when they stopped working, their numbers actually went up. So, and, and from what I could see, the SEO person wasn't really doing SEO. They were doing, what would I call it? They were doing backlinking strategies and they were um, doing a lot of research and buying some ads, but they weren't really doing what I consider to be SEO on the website. So a lot of stuff that I would walk through and do for people wasn't even done, the basics. And that's what kind of keeps you up. So it it frustrates me. And they wouldn't have known that because you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And so an expert in all areas of your business. So it is a real challenge for small business owners. Yeah, absolutely. So when I, I, he mentioned it to me one day and I looked at it and I went, wow, I think you're, I told him, I said, I think you're being hosed. <laughs> and so it took him a couple of months to agree with me. And then yes. he, he, he uh, ended that contract. And I think, SEO is one of those things we get spam every day, spam emails every day. I probably get 10 of them every day for people who want to put me on page one of Google. Well, Absolutely. do you know, here's, here's the biggest thing I would want people to look for if they're looking into that. Are they going to put you on page one of Google for your own business name? Because if you have a decently unique business name like Junkery or Twerp, or um, campus GPS, I see Janet's watching live. If you've got a decently unique business name 
and your website was built properly and submitted to Google, you should appear in the top one or two when people type in your name. That's not what SEO is about. SEO is about being found when people are asking questions and looking for your services and they don't know your name. And so many of those SEO companies, that's what they're going to do. They're going to put you on page one for your name, but you're probably already there. And some of that is just time. You, you can't buy time. Some of it is right. just, you know, the length of time that your, you know, footprint is online as your business. And, and you know, the terminology changes all the time. And, you know, I, I used to, I, I worked in, in IT and information management prior to this entrepreneur life that I'm living now. And I always used to say, you know, you could have a fantastic IT company come in and set your entire network up and everything's running perfectly. And a week later, you could bring in another IT company and they'll tell you it's wrong and mm -hmm. that everything needs to change and you need an entirely new IT company. Um, shared experience about actually our website. We um, we had been working with a, a you know, web de development company on our website prior to launching way back in 2014, actually. Mm -hmm. And timing just wasn't working out well and the individual that was working on our website actually ended up shutting down their business um you know and we our website wasn't finished and so we had paid you know for a small business a considerable amount of money up to that point um we didn't have a finished website i then met with a few other web design companies that specialized in the platform that our site's built on and every one of them said well we'd have to start from scratch and and that just that confused me like why someone else just couldn't go in and make the changes that i needed in order for our site to be up and running and i often tell this story you know it's christmas 2014 and i made myself the largest pot of tea i could and spent 12 hours of online tutorials to teach myself WordPress to be able to go in and do what I need it to do. And I think my own experience is I don't want to be completely in the dark where I don't know how to do anything, but I don't want to be the expert in it either. I need a comfort level of I can post on my own. I can, you know, do a bit of graphic design if I need to do that on my own, that I can do a little bit of content if I need to do that so that you're not entirely dependent on someone to be doing all of that for you. I think that's important with a small business owner that you have some type of control and knowledge on what it is you're doing, uh, taking it back even before then. Uh, and I think this is something that you shared in sessions I've seen with as well, that you need to own your, your web information, your domain name needs to be registered, you know, by you, not by someone else. Uh, you need to put all of those things in place for yourself um, so that you have control of that. You know, I, I have a colleague whose person that had registered their website and, you know, made the revisions on the website just up and disappeared and it expired. So their website's gone. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's very difficult if you're not the owner of that website. So she's not even the owner of her actual company's website. The, the web domain registration company won't even deal with her. They, yeah. they need to deal with the person on file. So, so that's a very important thing. And if anybody watching has questions about that, I know Anita can direct you on, on what's the best way to make sure that you have control of that. Well, usually the easiest way to know, everybody, most business people know if they're paying a bill for something, 
So if you're getting a bill every year or maybe every two or three years, depending on your plan, um, that talks about your domain, which is your, your, your address for your website and your hosting package, then you probably own it and you're probably safe. But if you haven't seen that bill in a good long time and you don't know where to go to um, check, then you may have a problem may have a problem. So yeah, yeah definitely good stuff. Uh, Linda Daly and I have been talking about that again. There's people right. in my social media class right now who are dealing with similar things. And I kind of hope that practice of web developers buying everything and then keeping it would go away as people got more educated about it, but it's still happening and people yeah. are still getting not, I, I don't want to say they're getting swindled because in some cases it's just the way things were set up and then it's difficult to transfer. But um, in some cases it is a not so nice business practice. <laughs> and, and the process to register your own domain name is so easy. I've, I've used webnames.ca, which is a Canadian company in Vancouver, and they've been fantastic. And, you know, another piece of small business ownership, and I actually spoke about this at, um, I've had, I've, I've, a few times been a member of the small business panel at Seed. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things we talked about was ownership of your domains and social media handles and your naming of your business. So Junkery is a bit of a unique name and Junkery.ca was available, but Junkery.com was actually taken by someone. They weren't using it, but mm -hmm. webnames.ca bartered the purchase of that name from them for us. And interesting, because I did want the .com for our business. So, you know, I set a budget of, I think, around, you know, $2,500 was the most that I was going to spend to have the .com. It was a long-term investment for us. Um, and so web names contacted the current owner of that domain name, and they came back and said, we want $25,000. And I laughed and, you know, said, tell them they can have $1,500 today or that would be it. And they took $1,500. <laughs> so um, I wouldn't have been able to do that on my own. But Web Names bartered that entire process for us, which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. the, the other piece when, you know, you're thinking of naming your company, because um, I think for a lot of people, that's the first thing they think of when they're doing business ownership is, oh, I can't wait to name my company, yeah. is make sure before you get to attach to that name that you actually then can actually use it with registry of joint stock to make sure it's free with all of your social media handles. You know, um, again, I got surprised that, you know, at Junkery on Facebook wasn't available. Um, at Junkery on Twitter wasn't available. Um, the Facebook account is used and I've reached out to the owner to see if, if they'd be willing to, to give up that name and haven't received any response. Twitter was the same thing. The, the person who has that Twitter handle hasn't made a post, I think, eight or nine years, maybe almost now. And, uh, you know, so we went with the art of junk because that's part of our name. So um, our social media you know, um, I, I'm a real gal of consistency. I like that. But because at Junkery was available on Instagram and LinkedIn, uh, we're at Junkery on LinkedIn and Instagram, but we're at the art of junk on the other two. But that doesn't stop how sometimes your name appears. Like if you search Junkery, it'll come up as Junkery. So that wasn't, you know, um, 
too much of an issue for us because I knew people would still identify with us. And it's part of the brand building too, that people understand the art of junk. That's who we are. Absolutely. That doesn't mean I make art out of junk. I am not Martha <laughs> Stewart. <laughs> we do get people who think that. <laughs> I'm not crafty at all. Um, okay, so you've given us lots of tips in all different areas of social media, but is there one tip specific to social media that you would, if somebody was coming to you and saying, you know, I'm starting a business and uh, you seem to be doing pretty good on social media, what's the one thing I should do? What would you tell them? I think you need to talk with the people who are following your pages, not talk to them. So, you know, that translates into writing as well. I'm sharing Junkery's story. Um, I'm sharing our community involvement. I'm having a conversation with them. Um, I'm not having a conversation to them. So I'm providing them with useful information that's coming through our business. Um, you know, information on where does stuff go, information on, you know, food bank fund drivers, you know, uh, fundraisers for Parker Street. So I choose to tell a story as opposed to selling. Now that could go against every single salesperson's training, but I prefer to engage in conversation as opposed to just, you know, resharing content without any type of conversation at all. I always try to think about if there was a person standing in front of me, how would I engage with them you know if i'm just going to share content would i walk up to you with a piece of paper and hand it to you and walk away i wouldn't do that i would have a conversation with you and say you should really check this out so we have shared content but provided context and a you know a bit of a story as well for that it seems to have worked well with us it, it generates conversation i think it it makes people think about us that you know we're more than just a junk removal company and i feel we are more than just a junk removal company for the type of service that we're providing to our customers um you know we we very purposely when we were building the website did i did not want a picture of a truck and you know crew members with brooms it, that that wasn't what we were really offering we were offering you relief from oftentimes a stressful situation so our website yeah. You know, it was built very specifically with kind of those types of imaging in mind that here's how we're going to be able to help you. What can we do for you? And I have found that that really resonated with people. And I certainly don't think that, you know, junkery here in Halifax, less than four years old, is influencing change on some of the bigger franchises because within a year, their sites changed to be more of that type of messaging as well. Um, we were the first company to jump removal company here to have an online chat system. And again, part of that was, you know, we're becoming such an automated, you know, the way we live. And, and, you know, again, maybe I'm just old and cantankerous, but you know, when I go to the airport, I don't want to put my own luggage tags on it. I don't want to put my luggage on the conveyor belt. You know, if I'm paying for a service, I would like some service. And so I did, we didn't put a, a scheduling calendar on our website because I'd rather talk to people. I'd rather have them call us so that we can say, how are we going to be able to help you with this? You know, like what process can we do for you? And that's, you know, with different types of service um, and, and flexibility with scheduling and flexibility with where we go, we're able to find out what needs to work for them as the customer, as opposed to them fitting into a block of, you know, available space. We'll make it work for them to try to help them through their process. Mm -hmm. So for us on social media, I think, 
that's been my take all along is that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to reach out to the people on the other end who are reading our, our post so that it engages with them on some type of level. Mm-hmm. Now you're the expert. Is that the right thing to do or is that the wrong thing to do? No, it's absolutely the right thing. I'm so happy, so happy people talk about it that way because that is, it will be more effective for you than just kind of blasting your messages out there and never talking to people. So stories and conversation and engagement are the sort of the three, three stools of the leg, three legs of the stool. <laughs> and um, that's absolutely what I want to hear people saying. Yeah. The, the last thing I would want to hear somebody saying is I'm automating everything and I never have to check in. And I hear that sometimes and it makes me want to puke. <laughs> yeah, we, we ha- everything that, you know, we're doing is coming, you know, from the ends of the fingers directly because uh, the automation to me is just so impersonal. And again, I think that's coming back to, you know, and I don't know if it's like a cyclical thing where everyone gets really excited, all the newest technologies available and look what it can do for you to the point where you start to feel very disengaged from people and very disengaged yeah. from from, you know, just transactions, uh, the online world of transactions, people love it. Um, I'm not a fan of that. I'd prefer to walk into a store and buy something and talk to a customer service person. And, um, but that's, that's me. And I don't know if it's right or wrong that I'm building our business that way, but I prefer to have that conversation with people as opposed to just a number that they call. Yeah. Well, I think it's right to biz- build the business however you think it's right to build the business. So mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that. I'm kind of like you. I don't, I don't do a lot of online shopping yet. I can't even bring myself very often to do the online grocery ordering and go pick up my groceries because <laughs> we still feel like we need to walk through the store and, and pick our own produce and all that kind of stuff. So, well, I think on that note, we'll we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing You're some of your experience and your stories and your learnings and mistakes about social media. I'm I'm sure people will find that all very helpful. Um, so thanks for joining us today, Ginny. Thank you, Anita. Thanks everyone for tuning in. And thank you to everybody who watched us live and everybody who's catching this later as a podcast. Um, If you're interested in being featured on the show, please send us a message and let us know. You can find us on all the social networks. You can find us at twerp.ca, that's T-W-I-R-P.ca, or just email us at info at twerp.ca. We'll see you next week, Friday at 1.30 p.m. on the Twerp Communications page. Stay social, Halifax. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening this week. You can catch the Halablab live every Friday at 1.30 p.m. Atlantic, 12.30 p.m. Eastern on the Twerp Communications Facebook page or catch the replay on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. You can go to twerp.ca for links to everything we mentioned in this episode. And while you're there, you'll probably want to grab one of the freebies available to help small businesses manage their own social media marketing. If you run a small business in the Halifax area and you'd like to be featured on Halablab, we would love to hear from you. Drop us a line at info at twerp.ca. That's info at twirp.ca. Talk to you next week.